This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. And welcome to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly talking about today's biggest cultural issues through the lens of God's infallible word. My name is Rob Pacienza, and as always, joined by my co-host, John Rabe. John, great to see you. It's always good to be with you, Rob. Thank you again. And uh, we've got another excellent program today. Something you and I have talked about a lot on this podcast is, uh, you know, we have a, a culture that is suffering from numerous pathologies, uh, some major problems, some of them, unfortunately, by design. We've we've covered a little bit of the fact that you have this Marxist, this neo-Marxist worldview that is deconstructing all the, the foundations of Western civilization, uh, the foundations of America. And so you have this real crumbling. Uh, but one of the most uh, crucial, one of the most vital and one of the most strategic areas that have been attacked is in the area of biblical manhood. We really do have a crisis in uh, not only this nation, but in this culture, in, in Western culture, about what it properly means to be a man. We have uh, actual manhood being sort of, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got a target on its back. It's, it's, it's relegated to being something that's, that's toxic, that's, being, that's something evil. And so we are going to talk with uh, a friend of ours who has done some really important recent work on this on the program today and dig into that issue of the, the loss of manhood, biblical manhood, and how to get it back. Absolutely. And we're uh, talking about our guest, Owen Strong, Dr. Owen Strong, who yes. is the provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, and he just came out with a new book entitled The War on Men, where he is dealing with the current crisis in our society, as you just mentioned. And you mentioned that word toxic. That's a mm -hmm. phrase that's being tossed around right now. Toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity, yeah. absolutely. And what people mean by that, uh, those uh, that are trying to promote this idea that um, biblical manhood or traditional manhood is uh, somehow needs to be uh, eliminated from the public square, eliminated from uh, the culture and how we're raising up the next generation of young men in this nation, that anything that is tied to a Judeo-Christian worldview and understanding of manhood is considered toxic, needs to be eliminated, it's oppressive, archaic, and we need to somehow be liberated from the shackles of a biblical perspective of manhood, and you could go as far as saying in a, in a biblical perspective of womanhood as well. Absolutely, and this really does, uh, you know, not everything is, is, is a conspiracy in terms of people sitting around in a room just hatching a plot, but you do have in the academic world uh, and in the intellectual world in America over the past, uh, what, six, seven, eight decades, this real neo-Marxist philosophy that starts with the Frankfurt School, and, and part of Marxist philosophy is the undermining of these traditional roles and, and the undermining of the traditional family. Owen Strawn is particularly helpful uh, to see that because in addition to the new book, he is also the author of uh, a book called Christianity and Wokeness, um, and he has really dug into how this Marxist philosophy is playing itself out in the woke movement and is able to tie all of that together. Absolutely. So we'll talk about the church's importance of upholding and advancing God's design for manhood. Uh, what is it? What does biblical masculinity mean to redeem that and, and recapture uh, that value and that virtue and that truth in our society for the sake of the next generation? We'll talk about the, uh, the important uh, role that women play uh, in empowering men. And as you just mentioned, we'll talk about how this is all ultimately rooted in a cult, uh, 
a cultural Marxist ideology that exists not only to destroy biblical manhood and womanhood, but the family as a whole. So without further ado, here is our City of God interview with Dr. Owen Strawn. Owen, oh, so great to have you on the City of God podcast today. Um, let's dive right in. You have a new book, uh, The War on Men. Tell us a little bit about the book and what led you to write it. Yeah, men are considered toxic today, Rob. And what I have realized is that that is not just a slogan that we hear and we kind of wave a hand at, but that is having a major effect on boys and young men and men more generally. And so I wanted to write a response to our culture effectively after years of working on manhood issues. I was the president of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood for a spell. And so I've been I've, I've been thinking about these things and had this burden gestating in me for some time. And I wanted to respond and say, yes, men are sinful and need the gospel of divine grace. But what I also want to do in this book and in my broader ministry, humble as it is, is put an arm around men and, and do what our culture does not do and say to men, you know, you're told that you're nothing. You're told that you're worthless. You're told that you're less than a woman nowadays, but that's not true. Both men and women are made in God's image. We want to lift you up. We want to help you. We want to strengthen you through the grace of Jesus Christ. It's interesting too, because I think, you know, we, you hear in the, the typical woke culture, this idea of, of, uh, you know, male privilege and, and, uh, you know, supposedly, uh, patriarchy men hold all the power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, male and female, he created them, has fallen on hard times in American culture. We see it so brightly today, so clearly today, how there is this sort of attack on maleness, but it's really not anything new either, is it? It seems like this has sort of actually been gestating for, for many decades, even though we're finding it flowering in new ways. We really are. Feminism has been attacking uh, the role of men and even men themselves, as I bring out in this book, The War on Men in Chapter 2, for decades now, as you said, John, fundamentally uh, to be manly, even to use that phrase, by the way, will will cause people to laugh at you. If yeah. you say that even in a mm -hmm. Christian context now, hey, guys, let's try to be manly. Um, people think you're being ridiculous. They think you're telling a joke. And of mm -hmm. course, there are caricatures of manhood that we can say, biblical manhood, strong manhood, as I call it in the book. And we don't want to participate in those. But fundamentally, our culture now says that if you take risks, if you're assertive, if you say to another man, man up, or, you know, let's be tough, or these kind of things. But a lot of the virtues you still see in a common grace sense played out on a football field or a basketball court or something like this, baseball, my son got uh, got hit by a baseball in practice the other day, you know, it's a good opportunity to practice some of that manhood there, right. you know, you okay? And then, <laughs> all right, you got it. But if you say these things, men, if you say these things today, uh, that's terrible. That's bad. If you praise women for being womanly, oh, that's all in. That's good in the church. So we're trying to restore this, guys. We're trying to say it is a good thing in the name of Jesus to take risks. David says to his son Solomon, be strong and show yourself a man, 1 Kings 2.2. And this book, The War on Men, is my attempt to say to modern men, be strong and show yourself a man in God's grace. Oh, and part of the war on men is uh, we we start hearing phrases like toxic masculinity. And you're even seeing this, unfortunately, and hearing about this in the North American church. Uh, many uh, progressive Christians are advancing this idea of toxic masculinity. Uh, unpack that phrase. What, what do they mean by that? And how are they using this uh, to um, attack biblical manhood uh, as they pose it? 
it as a threat to society? That's a great question. I would link that phrase, toxic masculinity, to strong manhood. And I would say where men show strength today, where they dare to lead, to think that they have authority, uh, to think that they should be the key leader in a society or a church or something like this is called by God from a Christian standpoint, then they are called toxic. Um, they are part of the patriarchy, to use a different term. And so really the idea here in wokeness is that men have grabbed a power uh, block for themselves. They've they've grabbed an advantage for themselves. They've made themselves authorities over women wrongly. And, and so there's an inequity there. And where there's an inequity, wokeness tells you, as this book says, Christianity and Wokeness that I wrote, where there's an inequity, there's an injustice. So basically, the Marxist framework, we got a lot of uh, ideologies on the table here at, at nine in the morning. But basically, <laughs> what this, what all these things are saying is, if there's any difference between people, if men are called to be the leader in the home, for example, the head of the wife, Ephesians 5, if men are called to be the elders and pastors and teachers in the local church, 1 Timothy 2 and 3, Titus 1, that's an inequity, and that's an injustice. And what we say as Christians is absolutely men are not called to lord their authority or strength or ability over women. Men and women are equal as image bearers, and yet men and women are made differently, have different capacities, have different roles in certain places. Women can do some things men can't do. Men, men are called to some roles that women are not called to. And we just have to make that case and present it uh, as the Godward vision of our life and, and take the hits that come from our culture. That's good. It is. And before we're done here, I do want to unpack a few of those ideologies with you because you have done a lot of work on on how all of this is affecting us. And and as you mentioned, your book, Christianity and Wokeness, uh, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that a little bit before we're done too. But uh, the one of the things that I am troubled by is you'd expect this sort of thing in the world, right? You expect that cultures uh, of unbelievers are going to attack truth, even inadvertently. It's, it's just part of what happens in a sinful world. But I think what we've seen, too, in the church in a more subtle way is the, the feminization of the church, including even within evangelical Christianity. Tell me a little bit about that. What would we mean when we talk about the feminization of the church and why is that something to watch out for? Why is it dangerous? Yeah, there's always hard and soft forms of ideologies that attack the church in a Colossians 2, 8 sense and try to take people captive. Spiritual warfare is real, men. It, it's not for, for people out there who would be wildly different from us in theology and uh, Bible-believing conservative Christians have no place for it. Satan is always testing the fence. Satan is always trying to send bombers in. Satan is always trying to get us to, to believe in the hard form, for example, of feminism, where we would really collapse any distinctions between men and women. But Satan is also very glad for a soft form of ideology, where um, it's not so much an attack, an open attack on uh, strong manhood and complementarity and these kind of realities. But nonetheless, there's this feeling in the church, for example, that men are really twice the sinners that women are. And, and there's a feeling in the church that um, 
women really set the tone and women are the ones who should be praised and and women should be elevated and advanced into leadership. There's a wide ranging conversation to have about all those matters I just mentioned. Women are, are gifted and called into all sorts of glorious work for the name of Jesus Christ. But fundamentally, it's actually the opposite. It's the case that men are called to step up and, and lead and be the ones who shepherd the flock. And, and so we've seen a creeping spirit in complementarian and Bible-believing conservative evangelical circles in the last few years where women are encouraged to step forward in some, and men are basically called to kind of step back and be a little softer and be a little more passive and, and just and just be kind of watching what goes on. And that's had a tremendous effect on many men in the church. And what we want to do is not have men vault over women, not have men shut women down or something like this, but we want men to step up and provide kind and gentle and tender and meek, but also convictional and strong and firm and unbending leadership in the home and in the church. Really, at, at its core, this leadership is supposed to be marked by the very emblem of Christ. So we're not in leadership or authority for ourselves. Uh, we're we're self-sacrificing, but that doesn't mean, gentlemen, as I wrap this up, that um, we don't make decisions. That doesn't mean that we don't have authority. That doesn't mean that we don't step up. That doesn't mean that we aren't the leaders. Jesus being self-sacrificing does not mean that Jesus failed to lead his apostles because he surely mm -hmm. did. Oh, and one of the lies of the enemy is to convince a culture and even Christians that God's design for manhood and womanhood is oppressive, backwards, um, archaic. Uh, people are maybe even going to look at this conversation. Here's three white men that are conservative in their theology and their thinking. And of course, they want to advance uh, uh, this ideology and this it's idea concerning us. yeah, concerning men. And uh, But don't they realize how this is oppressive to both men and women? And we've got to break away from the shackles of this archaic understanding, but I know your heart. I know you're a Genesis 1 and 2 guy. Um, explain to our audience why embracing God's design for men and women actually leads to a flourishing society and actually reverses the chaos that we're currently seeing in our society today. We're in a battle of fundamental worldviews. One worldview says that there is no order, there is no creator, there is no structure to the cosmos, there is no design for sex, marriage, or the family, and so on it goes. The other major worldview, that was paganism that I just mapped out, by the mm -hmm. way, the other major worldview is, is biblical truth. And in that worldview, there is a creator, there is order in the cosmos, there is a script for the life of men and women, there is a design to sexuality, marriage, and the family, and we could go on from there. Yeah. But basically, we find ourselves in a contest of visions today in 2023. And so it is really, Abraham Kuyper said this over 100 years ago, basically 125 years ago this year, at Princeton uh, Seminary, he said that, never forget that the fundamental battle has always been and is now between two systems, Christianity and paganism, the living God or the idols. And 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 Kuiper was so prophetic in that sense and 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 so crisp in his worldview and his thinking and he's he's actually right today still. Uh that's the fundamental battle. Things morph and take different forms, but what we need to do is recognize that God's order is not only right. God's 
order is good. It's where you flourish. You don't flourish when you pretend, for example, that there are no lanes on the highway, when, when you when you reject any foundation, when you reject any telos to the cosmos. You only flourish when you recognize, per Van Til and others, that there is a creator-creature distinction in the cosmos, and I'm not the creator. I don't set things. I don't make up the rules. God is the creator. I'm just a creature, and I'm supposed to fit into the world that he has made. Rob, that is very challenging to the postmodern spirit in 2023. When we preach that to unbelievers today, for, for some of them, at least a good number of them, there's going to be a kind of recoil. Like, no, -uh, no way. Some are some are going to turn away and not hear us. But we can trust in this as we preach that truth and the gospel with it. There are going to be some who go, you know, I'm living out this pagan woke project, and it really isn't leading me to a whole lot of happiness, joy, fulfillment, and flourishing. It's leading me to chaos and sadness and destruction. And I'm going to give this gospel thing a hearing. And so I actually think, bad as the times are, gentlemen, we have a tremendous market opportunity today as people are living in the wreckage of woke paganism, and we can point them to the hope that is in Jesus Christ. I think that's very well said, and and there is that desire, especially in in young men, to uh, to live out their their sort of created pattern, and yet that's stifled in in so many different ways today. And we've become so confused about it. What are some ways? Because there may be many who who don't even realize the way that this has affected us. What are some ways that this forfeiture of true masculinity, of biblical masculinity, has affected us? in the culture and in the church? Well, if the fundamental trifold calling of a man from Scripture is to lead, protect, and provide, uh, and we could substantiate that, and I do in this book, The War on Men, at some length, but if fundamentally men are called to work and keep the garden, Genesis 2.15, if men are called to leave father and mother and take one wife as God blesses, Genesis 2.24, and um, if, if men are called to lay their lives down, as Christ laid down his life for the church, for their wife, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, then what you have is you have this glorious overview, this, this rubric that men fit into. But fundamentally, our culture has said men should not lead. Basically, in any context, men should not see themselves as created first. Creation order, remember, we were just talking about it, has no meaning whatsoever to pagans today, to evolutionists, to atheists, to skeptics, to the woke, those who hate the God-ordained, God-centered worldview. So they don't just reject, you know, the gospel at the end of the Christian story and narrative, they reject the beginning. And if you reject the beginning of the Christian story, namely Genesis 1 through 11, you're going to have a very hard time holding fast to the rest of the Christian story. So th there's not a belief that the man is created first, a real historical Adam created before a real historical Eve first, and that that first creation actually means something. It means basically what the New Testament will call headship. It means the husband has Christ-like authority to be stewarded carefully and wisely and with much prayer and even repentance over his wife. But you can't say these things today. So our culture says no. No to all of that, uh, you weirdos. Um, no, the husband does not have any of that over his wife. Um, Adam and Eve are a fiction. 
creation is a fiction. Um, and then our culture has said, no, men are not supposed to be providers of their of their homes. Um, the sexes share the duty of provision equally. It's sexist to say that a man should provide for his wife. It's wrong to say that a woman should be at home um, in any sense, being a homemaker and a child raiser. We, of course, see that not in a kind of rote sense as Christians for a woman. We see that in an enchanted sense. We see that there's basically nothing more important than raising little warrior disciples in the name of King Jesus. But that's not how our culture sees womanhood, the vocation of womanhood, as Francis Schaeffer, Edith Schaeffer have carved out very nicely. And then protection, even protection is under fire. Men aren't really supposed to step up and protect uh, women or children. We saw this in Uvalde, Texas, a year or so mm -hmm. ago, when there was a, an active shooter on premises. And just this spirit of passive manhood of men not rushing in, men not cowboying up. In fact, that's the worst thing. The worst thing you could do nowadays as a man is to, is to step forward, in the, even in the line of fire. The best thing you can do is, is step back. So if a fist fight breaks out, some terrible thing that goes viral on social media breaks out, don't, don't stop it. Don't break it up step back, film it on your phone, post it on your social media. So there's just been a profound corruption and rejection of the tenets of biblical manhood. One man, by the way, Salvador Ramos, rejected this. Um, uh, Jacob Alvarado, excuse me, wrong name. Jacob Alvarado rejected this um, culture and went into Uvalde, Texas school where the shooting was taking place and rescued a whole ton of people, but he had to break protocol in order to mm -hmm. do it. What better example, brothers, could you get of the codes of the age, the anti-manhood codes of the age, and how we have to just say regularly, not in a not in a rank spirit, but in a in a grounded in God spirit. No, I'm not going to play by your rules. I'm going to lead, protect, and provide for the glory of God. And if you all are going to dismiss me or hate me or cancel me, so be it. Here I stand. I can do no other. When Karl Marx uh, comes onto the scene, uh, one of the things that he attempts to do is to attack the nuclear family. And, you know, if we take the family, we get the we get the next generation, uh, we control education, family no longer is the centerpiece of a flourishing society, but the state becomes God. We saw it with secular humanism in the 1930s in America and the takeover of public education. We're seeing it once again, right? It's just, as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. And you've dealt with this with Christianity and wokeness. Let's talk. We've talked about manhood and womanhood, but let's talk about the nuclear family. I mean, we, we believe, uh, going back to Genesis 1 and 2, that family is the centerpiece, uh, the foundational sphere of a, of a flourishing society. Uh, not only is manhood and womanhood under attack, but, but when we say things like the importance of the family and how the family is under attack, why is, a, why is family being the centerpiece of a flourishing society so important for the church to wake up to uh, in the 21st century and for us to defend God's design uh, in that regard as well. As the family goes, so goes everything. So literally, it's the most important institution on earth. I don't mean that it, you know, it, it, we're supposed to look askance at the church, but it's the foundational unit of human flourishing. And so we've got to recognize that um, Satan hates the family. He hates God's design for the family. He hates the family structure in which there is a marriage between one man and one woman uh, in, in biblical terms for life, in terms of the calling and the ideal. 
Satan despises that. Satan wants every marriage destroyed. Satan wants your marriage is destroyed, my marriage destroyed, and the marriage destroyed of everyone listening or watching this podcast. So Satan hates God's design. Satan's not for it. He hates it in every sense. Um, the Marxists um, really surfed that wave that you mentioned of an being anti-family and anti-male uh, leadership even. And so you recognize that I think Marx was uh, not just a guy who had some interesting economic ideas. I read Marx as, I don't know, I can't confirm this, but at the very least, he had the wind of the devil at his back, hmm. and at most, a, a demon-possessed man, one of these figures in history that Satan just used to tremendous ends. There are more people who have died as a result of Marxism directly than mm -hmm. any other ideology I can identify in human history directly. And so Marx's ideas foment revolution. Uh, needless revolution economically that that gets you nowhere ultimately. And our young people, by the way, are very susceptible to soft forms of socialism that have crept into the church. We've we have this doctrine of neither left nor right that has obtained in public theology now for some time. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to be, you know, either side. You're supposed to be this perfectly balanced tightrope walker uh, on on all these matters. And what I would just say is we've got to reject socialism. And we've got to train our young people that the socialistic worldview is the worldview really ultimately of the, of the deceiver. It's a worldview that steals, kills, and destroys. You think about abortion, you think about organized theft in terms of taxation, and, and you think about um, all the all the suffering that goes on in the name of Marxism all over the world, and you recognize this is not a neutral ideology. This isn't something that Christians should should entertain. So, so Christians have to stand against this. And Marx understood um, that if you destroy the family, you, you get the rest. All the other dominoes fall. We're in a time of tremendous chaos. We can't put all the pieces back together. I would say in a in a societal sense, but what we can do is strengthen what remains. What we can do is know that it's 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 absolute wildness out there in the culture. Families are breaking down left and right. Marriages are crumbling left and right. But what we can do is be a city on a hill. We can be the city of God. We can shine by the grace of God with light. We can speak the truth in love. We can promote joy and, and, and then show people we're not just these crusty Bible-believing types. Look at our marriage. It's not perfect. It ain't perfect, but we love each other. Look at our kids. It's not perfect as a dynamic, but we love our kids. And hopefully, by God's grace, they love us. And, and that's how it's supposed to be. And then church, the, the church is so important. It's the one institution Jesus Christ has promised to build. And he's and he's he's guaranteed that with not a blood oath, but with his very blood itself. Mm. And so we point people to the local church. And, and that's the true family of God. The uh, current book is The War on Men. As we mentioned, your previous book or one of your previous books was uh, Christianity and Wokeness, where you really unpack some of these Marxist ideologies. And, uh, and I think people need to recognize and need to understand, especially pastors, that this stuff is all tied together, that the transgender movement is not some separate issue from uh, the social justice movement or, or the, the socialism of, of, of Marxism. But since you wrote that book a couple of years ago, uh, it does seem like at least it's been more of a conversation, more people are waking up to it, perhaps. What's your evaluation now of where things stand in the church as opposed to when you wrote the book? Do you see improvement? Do you see things getting worse? Uh, are we just kind of spinning our wheels? What, what's your evaluation now in 2023 of, of where the evangelical church, church is on these issues of wokeness? God has really done something in the last five years to counter 
wokeness. And I credit it all to him, ultimately, of course. But you think about the Dallas statement in 2018, led by Josh Bice and John MacArthur and numerous other figures. That was a kind of first line in the sand that was so important. Um, and then uh, you, you go back for some time, actually, Vody Bauckham, well before even that, in like 2011, 2012, was warning about critical theory before mm. anyone really even paid attention. Sounded kind of fringe at the time, I think, to some evangelical and reformed leaders, but not in any way fringe. Dead right. Yeah. Seeing this speeding bullet train coming for the church. Uh, you think about MacArthur's stand, you think about different events. Uh, Wokeness in the Gospel was a conference held in June 2021. Um, Vody's book in God's Providence came out in March 2021, uh, Fault Lines. Um, the Lord was uh, was kind to me to let me publish uh, a small resource on it, Christianity and Wokeness. There's numerous other factors. The Just Thinking podcast came out of nowhere. And, and it, even in the summer of 2020 and spring, when um, tragically George Floyd died, um, and that was hijacked politically mm -hmm. uh, and culturally, um, the Just Thinking men, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, spoke up and said, we mourn this man's death, but there are deeper factors here at play, and you should not trust Black Lives Matter as an organization and these sorts of things. All lives do matter. God has done something. And, and, and I think even in the wreckage we're in, we should be very encouraged because that shows us what we know from our Old Testament, that God is the covenant-keeping God. God is the promise-making and promise-keeping God, and, and he has not left us defenseless, and he has not entrusted this to any one person as the superstar. He has raised up so many different works, and he has strengthened so many pastors to not bow the knee in their pulpit to wokeness, to not cave uh, to, to feminism and paganism. And so there has been a lot of compromise, brothers. But also there has been a serious counter movement that has kicked up, and I think it has really been used to stabilize a lot of people. There's been a lot of shaking down with the lockdowns to bring that into the conversation as well, uh, COVID policies and so on that uh, caused many churches to go quiet, but then other churches didn't. Other churches kept preaching the truth, even in a very confusing situation initially. And all this has led to a resettling, a redrawing of the lines of evangelicalism. I wouldn't say that everything is shaken out yet. We're still figuring out the new alliances. We're still figuring out where we are. There are new works that need to emerge. There's an older generation that has been faithful and passed their test, basically. Some of them are still on the field, praise God, but there does have to be the raising up of the next generation. That is, is yet to emerge in full. There's a lot, there's a lot taking place right now um, but but we can say, I can say overall, yes, there's been a major counter movement to these ill forces, and we're still kind of waiting to see where things are drawn in days Amen. ahead. Oh, and uh, one final question. On this podcast, we can tend to pick on uh, the liberals and the progressives in Christianity often, but I think there's a danger on the other side as well. I think one thing I've noticed uh, is what uh, the emerging, even in the evangelical church, of Christless conservatism, um, that, it, you know, uh, they're, they're conservative in their political ideology, they're conservative, they probably would agree with a lot of the stances that the three of us take and the positions that we we even have talked about on uh, this podcast, but why is it important for the church to have a 
political theology and it, it, and for our even our understanding of the world, government, politics, and many of the topics we've even addressed today from a Christ-centered, theologically sound perspective. Yeah. God, politics, and as Eric Metaxas might say, other small topics, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We we have to recognize that we can't outsource our political theology to the conservative movement, to Republicans, so on and so forth. I would be a, a voice who would say from Matthew 22, 21, that we render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So Jesus himself actually creates kind of a common grace, not neutral space, but a space where, where Caesar who at that time in Jesus' day, just to be clear, is not a God worshiper, a Jupiter worshiper, where, where Caesar has a legitimate authority, which is fascinating. It's not the way I think Jesus' disciples thought, certainly, and it's not the way a lot of Christians today seem to think. But we do want to recognize that God has created this public square. That's more of an older crowd, older generations uh, conviction of a Kuiper and and Kennedy even and others. And so we want to be we want to be honoring to God in the public square in our given country. We don't want to outsource our politics, though. And I think that's what Christians did, or at least were tempted to do for a number of decades. Seemingly, the Republican Party is pretty strong overall. And uh, and so let's just lean on them and look to them and they'll figure the issues out. If that was ever true at some level, it is not true now. We must be a prophetic, convictional, courageous voice today. I don't mean that we can somehow become this voting block, just as the church, that can win the day politically. I do mean, again, the church is not usually called to victory in the public square. I don't mean we always lose, but the church is called to a posture of witness. So, um, the 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 overall banner I would say about our public theology would be this term: faithful witness. We're not guaranteed victories here and now per se, though we get some. Praise God, and we always want to trust a big God and not say we know what He's going to do because we have no idea what He's going to do. Look at what He did in His wise providence in 2016. No one predicted that. No one no one thought that was going to happen. We have no idea what's coming. In the future, we do know that our sovereign God holds the future perfectly in his hands, and he's got a perfect plan, and he's all wise, and we can trust him even when we feel anxious, scared, fearful, and discouraged, as all of us do at some level. All yeah. of us do. Um, what we need to do, though, is, is continue building out a sound biblical political theology or public theology. And again, let me just say a, a note of encouragement. I see people trying to do that. Um, I, I see different voices trying to call the church to faithfulness, not calling us to a position of imperialism. That's not what I stand behind. Um, I don't want us actually to become our own separate political movement as Christians. I think we should make alliances at some level strategically. Um, but I do think there there is this conviction that uh, when we stand behind Christ and not behind any earthly movement, uh, we're not ultimately going to lose. We are going to win. And we need to minister and witness uh, in that invincible mindset. Amen. Amen. That's a great word, Owen. So grateful to have you on the City of God podcast. Been looking forward to this interview for some time. Please check out his book, The War on Men, and other resources by um, our guest today. And uh, just thank you for being a voice in the wilderness uh, in this cultural moment and for the stance that you uh, are taking uh, right now. It's, uh, we are uh, grateful for you and for your ministry.
Thank you, brothers. Really appreciate you and your faithfulness. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Dr. Owen Strawn on the City of God podcast. If you enjoyed uh, this podcast, uh, benefited from it, were inspired and encouraged uh, by our interview with Owen, we pray that you would pass this along to family and friends as we together discover what it means uh, to tackle today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. I do pray uh, that you join us next week for the City of God podcast. And until then, may God richly bless you. The City of God podcast is produced by Coral Ridge Ministries and made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. Visit us at cityofgodpodcast.com to access all of our previous episodes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. A full video version of this podcast is available on YouTube. This is the City of God podcast where Christ meets culture.